Hey, good morning, City Hope Church. Boy, it is so good to be back with you. I really mean that. You know, if you come to a church, you're kind of like, you have to say that, right? Like, he's like, but, but I really mean it. <laughs> I love being back at City Hope Church because it feels like coming back to family. And uh, I got to spend some time this week with your pastor, Pastor Ben, and uh, I'm so grateful for him. You know, there's some people in this life that just refresh your soul and you need to get around them. And uh, I, I try to get around him as much as I can because he's just, he, he does that for me. He just refreshes me. I got to spend a little time with the team and uh, had some fun with them. So good. As you know, um, we are launching Five Stones Church, you heard Pastor Caleb say that, in, in Chattanooga, Tennessee, um, this, this September, and uh, that is a church that you, your generosity is helping to plant, and, and so I, I'm so grateful for you. Um, we, we're taking some of your best and brightest, too, um, and so we, we, we will forever be grateful to City Hope Church for that, for all that you've done to get us started. Pastor Ben will be back again next week, but um, we're continuing in this series of family values. I heard this uh, story of a woman who had passed away, and at her funeral, she was an elderly woman, uh, at her funeral, as the pastor completed the message, he called the pallbearers forward uh, to pick up her her casket and take it to the hearse. And, and she was kind of a heavier set woman and, and it was kind of challenging or difficult uh, for the guys to, to do this. And so on their way down the steps, they kind of bobbled for a minute. And, and to keep from dropping the casket, they hit the wall. And when they did, they heard a moan come from inside the casket. And so they set the casket down, opened it up. Lo and behold, she was still alive. And so they got her out there. M- miraculously, she lived 10 more years before dying a second time. And, and then the, at her second funeral, the pastor completed the message and he called the pallbearers forward. And, and, and as they prepared to pick up the casket, her elderly now widowed husband of 60 years stood up slowly from the front row and loudly proclaimed, boys, watch the walls. Whatever you do, mind your steps. <laughs> now, that's not a true story. Um, But unfortunately, the truth of the matter is a lot of our marriages can kind of feel like that, right? Like some of the marriages that once burned so brightly don't quite burn as brightly as it used to. And and I I don't know where you are in your marriage. I don't know what it looks like. But regardless of that, I I firmly believe this, this truth. You can have the best marriage in this room. In fact, I want you to say that. If you're married today or you'd like to be married, why don't you say this with me? Say, I can have... The best marriage in this room. I absolutely believe that's true. Now, statistics might tell you something different. Culture will definitely tell you something different. Culture has been trying to redefine marriage for generations, right? The culture around us says that marriage doesn't have to look like the Word of God. It can look a lot of different ways. Culture will tell you that unless your marriage is a red-hot Hollywood romance, then there's something wrong and you ought to split In fact, culture will tell you that marriage is not really all that necessary or important anymore. That's why you've got to watch what culture says. And we're steeped in culture. We're swimming in it and we don't even know it. And we're hearing about it. We're hearing it on on TV and on uh, on the internet. And we're, we're seeing what culture says that we should do with our marriages. But instead, I think that we should look at what God's word says to do about our marriages. It makes me think of this um, article that I read about the sequoia trees. You know, the, the, the big, massive trees that are out there. They're like 240 feet tall. They live two or 3,000 years. I mean, when you think about it, that's amazing. Some of these trees have been around when pharaohs ruled Egypt. I mean, like, they're just massive, which is why it was, it was really off-putting 
for, for some of the park rangers when they saw some of these trees just randomly falling over. I mean, they were just falling over. They got up one morning and the tree is down and they're, they're thinking, what is this? I mean, this tree has lasted for thousands of years. And so they did some research in it. You know what, what was causing them to fall down? It wasn't like the weather. It wasn't like lightning strikes or anything like that. It wasn't tree diseases. It wasn't insects in it. You know what was actually taking down these trees? Foot traffic. Foot traffic. People wanted to come see these beautiful trees, and so they would come and check it out. And as they walked, their feet, thousands of people over time, were trampling the root system of these massive trees. And now these trees that had survived countless forest fires and wildfires, they had survived ice ages because we were stomping on the roots, it was causing the trees to fall. And in the same way, culture is stomping all over the root system, the value system uh, that, we, that we hold dear. And, and, and just like those forest rangers, we need to do something. They determined in order to save these trees, they had to put up some boundaries, some fences to keep people so that they could admire the trees, but not damage the roots. And that's exactly what we need to do with our marriages. And so I, I want you to to look at me with, with some of these, these concepts because through this series, we've been talking about how values are the principles or standards of behavior that guide our lives. And Paul said this about marriage. Look at his words. He says that marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. See, Paul knows that marriage is one of these bedrock things that we need to hold on to and to value. He says, regardless of where you are, whether you're married or not married, he says every one of us should honor it. He wants you to have an incredible marriage. That's what God wants. God wants you and has designed marriage for you so that you could have the best marriage in this room. And God's the one that designed it, and he didn't just design it. He was actually there at the very first wedding, the very first one he was there. And the first wedding was a really big day for our first parents, right? They were going to go and marry someone they had never met before in their entire lives. And they were going to their wedding naked, right? I mean, the very first marriage was a pretty simple one. There was no photographer, right? No cake, no dress for her, no suit for him, unless you count his birthday suit, right? And, and not only was God the designer behind it, he, he was there in, in form. He walked Eve down as the father of the bride and was also the pastor overseeing the ceremonies. And, and, and God brought Adam and Eve together, and upon seeing his new bride for the first time, Adam must have felt some pressure there, right? Because if he didn't get this one right, Eve is literally the only woman on the planet, right? If this doesn't go well, the human race doesn't move on very quickly. And so, um, so God, God brings Eve to Adam and, and beautifully, the words of, of scripture record what Adam says to his new bride. And it's almost like, a, like he's singing a song to her or, or, or portraying some, some poetry. He says it this way, watch this. He says, at last, you can almost hear him gasp, can't you? The man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken from man. This is how God designed it. This was God's design for marriage. Not with the world. Before the world, before mankind deviated and started to destroy it, this is how God wanted you to look at this. And I want you to see this thing. Here's the question. With no other human beings on earth, who was Adam's standard of beauty? Who was Eve's basis of comparison? See, there, there was only one man and only one woman on the earth. And so God was getting, the plan was, and God's plan was that we would compare our spouse to no one else. Do you see this? There was no one else that we could possibly compare our spouse to. And that is so much healthier than our current system 
It's so much healthier and hopeful that there's no basis of comparison. Before God, before God gave Eve to Adam, before uh, Adam met Eve, God first brought all of the different animals to Adam. And Adam could, could name all of them. And this is kind of a, a setup for a joke to me. You know, I mean, like, like Adam is looking for the one, his one, right? And, Adam, and God keeps bringing him all these. Like if I'm Adam and God brings me a manatee, and I, or a hairless cat. I'm, I'm going, it's not that one, right? You know, like, it, right? And, and, and so Adam is looking at these things, and, and then finally Adam gets Eve. He bring, brings Eve to Adam, and Adam is just blown away. Now, for each one of them, they had never seen another human being in their life. And so for them, each one was the most beautiful, greatest, amazing, perfect person they'd ever met. But that's not the case today right? That, unfortunately, that is not the way that we are because our, our world and our society has grown and we're way more technical and way more visual. And if you think about all of the people, everything from, from marketing to advertising to the parade of selfies all on the internet trying to make us look good to celebrities to all kinds of things visually that you're seeing, it, it, even possibly even pornographic images, in front of us are, are, are a constant onslaught of, of images that give us a comparison that is not fair. And so without us even knowing it, many times we can start to compare our spouse to so many people. And there's a danger there. Theodore Roosevelt, the president, once said that comparison is the thief of joy. And I, I think that's wise. Because it's this unhealthy comparison that causes us not to be content with the life and with the spouse that God gave us. Look at Paul's words in 1 Timothy when he said, godliness with contentment is great gain. See, see, when you have godliness matched with contentment, you're content in your own marriage. That inside your marriage, it gives you the ability to have true safety, true intimacy, true connection on a soul level, rather than the, the, the pressures to perform to unfair and ridiculous cultural standards. Now, in order to have the marriage that God wants you to have, you have got to come to a decision that I'm going to make a choice that in my marriage, there is going to be no basis of comparison except for my spouse. Because think about it. Think of all of the people that you see on an average day, all the people at work, all the people on TV, all the people on social media, all the people that you see um, going into a store and shopping, possibly even pornographic videos that you're watching. How many of those people did you entertain a thought, even briefly, of a sexual nature? And then, then think of your spouse. Like, how can that spouse possibly ever live up to that standard? How could they be all of those different ages and personalities and, and appearances and all of these different types and races? How could they ever be any of that? It's an impossible standard. Now, for men and women, because we're different, we, we fall through different temptations, right? God created man to be more visual. Men tend to be a more visual being. And so the standard that they fall for, the unrealistic lie, is that there's this image of this unrealistic woman. And she's out there in the movies and the models and the magazines. And she's an imaginary woman that desires sexual intimacy just as much or more than you. She's made up. Don't buy into that comparison. It's a lie. And for women, now women tend to be, they're tempted just the same way. They tend to be more emotionally based. For women, th th their, their desire for a husband might be uh, someone that really, really is in touch with their emotion. The lie is the comparison that there is a man out there that loves and longs to talk for long hours about your feelings. 
Don't fall for it, ladies. He doesn't exist. You, you may even find the comparison in somebody else's husband. Like his occupation would supply for you a, a, a more safety or more opportunity. Or, or you've seen how your friend's husband deals with anger or, or, or conflict that comes up, and he doesn't blow up, right? Or, or, or he doesn't um, use his words in a negative manner, but chooses to, to be calm and rationalize things out. Let me tell you something. Someone else's husband is not your basis of comparison. I love what Job said. In Job 31, he said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully. He made a covenant. See, that's what marriage is. Marriage is a covenant. In in our westernized mindset, we think of contract. Contract says that if you do your end of the deal, and I do my end of the deal, we're fine. But if you don't live up to your end, then I don't have to live up to my end. That's what a contract is. God didn't set up contracts. God sent up covenant. Covenant says that no matter what you do, no matter how you act, it's not going to change me. I'm still going to do the things that I'm supposed to do. That's why God, when God looks at as an agreement between a husband and wife, he looks at a covenant. Job says, I made a covenant, a sacred promise with my eyes that I'm not going to look lustfully on anything. Now, this can be really challenging because men and women are just so different. We are vastly different. We're different in a number of different ways. I'll give you an example. Like my my wife, Deborah, loves uh, cards, greeting cards. And it was Valentine's Day uh, not that long ago, so you got to get them cards on on Valentine's Day. I'm not a huge fan of cards. Like to me, greeting cards say, somebody thought this about somebody else. I feel the same way about you. (laughs) But but she loves getting cards. She, She enjoys greeting cards and because... I love my wife, and I know that she loves them, so I'll go and get cards. Now, when I get a card, I can get a card in about six to eight seconds. I walk right into the store, go immediately to the place that looks great, and move on. By the way, ladies, this is how men choose cards, in case you're wondering. I hate shopping for cards with my wife. Like, Deborah has got to look at all 650,000 cards, like everyone on the row. And then she, she makes little, little uh, comparisons about each one of them and, and, and notates each one. So she'll say, oh, look at this one. It's got a heart on it, and it says, thinking of you. Should we get that one? And I say, yes, that, that's it. That's beautiful. That's the one we need. And then she'll go, oh, but look at this one. It's got two hearts and a bird. And it says, I love you forever. Should we get that? I think, oh, I say, yes. I don't know what I was thinking about the first one. That's the one we should get. That's it. And then she flips it over, and she goes, $4.99. Oh, I'm not paying that for that card. And, and then the whole process begins again, and we're stuck in Walmart for the rest of my life. Like, I, I just am not that way. Now, now, just because I don't get into cards, but I know my wife does, I make sure that I get her cards from time to time. And it's Valentine's Day, so I had to get her one. And so I went into there, I got the card, and as I, I turned to leave, I, I noticed a category that I'd never seen before. It said, love for a boyfriend or girlfriend. And so just out of curiosity, I thought, oh, okay, well, let me check that out. And, uh, and so I picked up the first one, opened it up, and inside it said, our love is like an uncontrollable fire, unquenched, and it will never be quenched. And I thought, wow, that's good. And then I looked at the card that I had picked out for my wife after 18 years of marriage, and it said, I know I don't tell you enough, but I love you. <laughs> and, and so I went and get her, got her another card because like, and the, the, the truth is there can be a romance gap that happens, right? The longer that we're together, the longer that, that time goes on, and it's okay. I mean, there are husbands and wives, and the, the, the longer that you're together, there's, there's ebbs and flows into a relationship. There, there are high times and low times, and that's fine. We're, we're growing, and we're changing, and we're developing. It doesn't have to be like that all the time, as long as you know that, that hey, th- there is 
a, a purpose to this, and we do need to have romance, and we do need to pursue our spouses. But sometimes it can be really challenging because, like in most marriages, you, you have a lot of two different people. Like, have you ever noticed like a couple that are together, and you're like, how did you even get together? Like, you're just so radically different. Have you ever noticed that? Like, it's like in marriage, it's like opposites attract and then opposites attack. Have you ever seen that? <laughs> that's been my experience. Like, like it, there's so many differences. In some homes, you'll have one that's a tightwad and the other one that's a big spender, right? One that, that is like uh, daring and impulsive and the other one that's like super safe and cautious. You'll have one that plays by the rules and, and the other one's like, what are rules? right? One that loves to talk a lot, and the other one just barely grunts. Have you ever noticed this? Like, one that loves to cuddle, and the other one's like a porcupine. Have you ever seen this? It's like, one that loves sex, and the other one's crazy. (laughs) Just clearing that up for everyone. Now, the reason why we're different, right, is because God made us to complement each other. You were created by God to meet the needs of your spouse. He, He did that so that you're different in the areas that they have need and, and, and they're different in the areas that you have need. And that's how we're designed to complement each other. And, and, and because of this fact, I, I think really one of the main threats that faces our marriages today is, is this, it's selfishness. If I could pick one thing that, that is damaging our marriages, it, it would be selfishness. Why? Because we go into marriage thinking it's all about me. It's all about what I can get, like getting my needs met, my needs fulfilled. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with wanting to have your needs met, and, and there's, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be fulfilled, but marriage is less about finding the right person to meet my needs and more about becoming the right person to meet someone else's needs. That's what God wants. See, we always think that marriage has more to do with making me happy. I can't tell you how many couples I've talked to and they say, well, like when we got married, I thought we would be happy. Like when, when, I, I got married because then I would be happy. And, and I say, find me a place in scripture that says that. Like there's no place in scripture that says marriage was designed to make you happy. It was designed to make you holy. See, when God saw Adam by himself there, up until that point, he said, it will read it. He says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. Everything's good. And then he gets to that part and he goes, that's not right. That's not good. It's not good for him to be alone. I'll make him a helper suitable for him. And so he put him together with Eve. See, marriage was designed to make us holy. Now, the cool thing is the byproduct of holiness happens to be happiness. But the point of of marriage is not to make us happy. It's to make us holy. And and the problem is sometimes we like to think of our spouse as the problem, right? Like if if she would just get her act together, right? If he would just be like so-and-so, then then we wouldn't have any problems. I guarantee you, especially if you're facing conflict in your marriage, if you would just slow down and look at it, you'll find that some of it traces back to you. Absolutely does. Look at this. Look at, look at how James said it. James said, where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. That's why we have problems. This is why we have trouble. It's because of selfishness. And selfishness is the number one threat, I think, that faces our marriages. But if you want to to lose the selfishness in your marriage, then you have to lose the opposite. That's selflessness. You need to think of yourself less. And so what I want to do for you today is I want to give you just three things, three simple, quick things that you can apply to your marriage to lose selflessness in your marriage. And the first one is this. Serve your spouse. If you have notes, you can write this down. Serve your spouse. You say, wow, that, I got up for this. 
That, that seems kind of simplistic. Is it though? I mean, think about it this way. When in John chapter 13, Jesus is at the Last Supper. He's down to the last few hours of his entire life here on earth, and he's with his disciples. And they're at the dinner table. You know what they're talking about? Last few hours of Jesus' life, they're arguing about which one's more awesome. <laughs> like, like it, literally the argument they're having when Jesus gets up from the table, this is the king of eternity, the prince of peace, the creator, this guy sees them arguing over how awesome they are, knowing it's the last few hours of his life, and what does he do? He starts serving them. He gets down and starts washing the donkey poop off of their feet. That's what Jesus does. Jesus is the one that says the servant is the greatest of all. Think about the businesses that we love the most. The best businesses are the ones that serve us the best. And the key to a great, a truly great marriage is two servants that are in love, trying to, constantly trying to fight to outserve in a healthy way each other. Now, this can be a challenge to, for us to fight selfishness because we know what we do all day, right? I know what I, I'm busy, I'm working. This is a culture that, that stays busy. We work all the time. Like when I come home and, and Deborah says, I need to fold laundry, I think, woman, I have been fighting evil all day. Do, do you know what these hands were designed? These hands were designed by God to lay upon people and, and heal the sick, not fold Joey's underwear. But when she asked me to fold, I fold laundry, right? And, and I do it with a smile. I wash dishes. I don't cook for health and safety reasons. But I'll serve my wife. When she pulls up to the house and she calls and says, hey, I've got a, a, truck, a carload of groceries. Come on out and help. You know what I do? I run out and help. I load up with groceries as much as I can. I'm really good at toting and moving things. I can do these things. And I do it with a good attitude because I can serve my wife. That is what I've been designed by God to do. I can be a servant to her. And it doesn't just make her happy. It also keeps me humble because I, I think I'm no better than she is. We can serve together. We are equals in this. We're partners in this. And I'm married to someone who I will serve with the rest of my life, and I'm confident she'll serve me with the rest of hers. So serve your spouse. And here's the second thing. Study your spouse. You need to study your spouse. If I could think of one thing, I can't wait to just tell you about this because I think it's one of the best things that I ever did for my marriage. I really do think this is really great if you would, if you would latch on to this. You need to study your spouse. You, when you love something and you really love and respect it, you know about it. You want to know everything about it. You want to know how it ticks, what makes it strong, what makes it feel right, what hurts it. I don't know about you, but I didn't do a whole lot of studying in high school. Like in high school, there was a lot, it wasn't until college that I even started caring about grades. I didn't study anything. Now, just because there were subjects that were out there that I didn't study doesn't mean that I wasn't studying something, right? I, I was studying how to have fun, I was studying girls. I was studying how to make people laugh. Why? Because I was passionate about those things. See, those things interested me. Like when you're interested in something, when you're passionate about something, you, you'll study it. You want to know more about it. You want to know everything about it. I want you to see this verse that, that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12. Now, he's not even talking about marriage, a marriage relationship here. So think of how much more important this verse is in light of marriage. He says, love each other with a genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Take delight in honoring them. Find out what they like to hear. Find out what builds him up and say more of that. Find out the things that tears her down and avoid them at all costs. In my family growing up, I have a big family. Larry, Sherry, Jenny, Tommy, David, Christy, Danny, Katie. There's a lot of us. And, 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 and like my, my parents just liked each other a whole lot. But, 
But, but what they would do is, like, in my family, we had this thing that we would talk to each other. Like, from the outside, it just looked like a, like a well, it might look like another language because it, it was just incredible sarcasm is really what it was. And, like, in my family, um, you know what sarcasm is like, but in my family, like, if we, if we were going to try and do something, and I said we should do it one way, and you thought we should do it another way, and we went with your way, and yours way didn't work, then all for the rest of we, the week, it would be like, you know, if we had done it my way. And, and it's just like, that's how we respond. Now, my wife, Deborah, is totally not like that. In fact, she hates that. She can't stand sarcasm. And I always think, God, if you didn't want me to use sarcasm, why'd you make me so good at it? <laughs> but because she doesn't like that and didn't grow up in a household where that was, that was played out, I stay away from it. I, I've chosen over the years, I, I've learned because I've studied my spouse that she doesn't like that. I stay away from that thing. And if I need to hit a good sarcasm, I'll call one of my brothers. And we'll just be mean for an hour at each other. I'll hang up. But, but she doesn't like that. Now, conversely, on the other side of things, I find stuff that she does like. My wife, Deborah, loves Mexican food. My goodness, I think she could eat it breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And it's not that I dislike Mexican food. It's just that she loves it so much that there's so many other things that we could have. But if, if we're driving and I know that, that she's hungry, I don't even have to ask. I just pull into the first thing that's got an L on it. You know, like... A, <laughs> And like, I'll go to those things because I know she loves it, right? And, I, and have you ever heard the phrase, like, if, if it's a friend of yours, it's a friend of mine? That's the kind of things that we want to have. Like, if I find the stuff that she loves and she's passionate about, I want to do more of those. I like to look for the things that bring her surprise and delight, things that will make her happy. I find ways to bring joy into her life. I think about that, and I think about how well do you know your spouse? What brings them joy? Some of you guys are so impressive when it comes to like, like the sport, like if I were to ask you about the incoming running back, you could tell me how fast they ran the 40. You could tell me what cereal they ate this morning, what their, how many teeth their grandmother has left in their head. I mean, like, it's just like, you listen to him, I'm like, man, you really know that sport well. And if I were to ask that same person, like, what's your wife's shoe size? Bah. It'd baffle you, right? I see some of you wives elbowing your husband. You might want to keep them cocked because I'm coming after you next. Like, how many of you wives, some of you wives, I could talk about, like, the, the latest fashion trends, the, the designing your house and, and decorating your home or, or, or the areas that, that you love, and you could tell me all about it. You could go on for days about the most recent thing, but let me ask you about the intricacies of the sport that your husband loves and watch you draw a blank. See, I'm not trying to beat you up. I was the exact same way. Like, I, I couldn't tell you these, these things about my wife. I couldn't tell you because I hadn't studied my, my spouse. So here's what I did. This is the thing I want you to know about. Um, I, I enrolled myself in what I call Deborah University. If, I, if I'm going to be a student, if I'm a student of my wife, then I need to know her. And so I, I've got limited RAM, right? There's only so much capacity that I got up there. And so I, I got my phone out and I created a note file and it's everything about her. I asked her, what's your shoe size? What, what size shirt do you wear? Everything. What's your favorite color? And I just asked these things over time. I found everything. And then you start asking deeper questions too. And if we were going somewhere, maybe we were out shopping or something, and she mentions that she liked something, I get my phone out and I make a little note. Sometimes I take a picture. And, and, I would, and by the way, guys, this is a huge help. I'm telling you, like when it comes time for birthdays, this is how you avoid the iron 
problems, you know, like, or the, the vacuum cleaner issues. You buy her something that she actually likes because you know what she wants, right? But I, I kept up with all of this stuff on the phone. Now, for the longest time, she didn't even know what I was talking about. Like, she didn't know I was doing that. She just thought I was really good. But I, but I was just keeping track of what she said. Now she knows because I've preached about it and I've talked about it in front of people. And now when we go, it doesn't bother her that, that I have this, right? When we're walking along, she's like, did you get your phone out for that? Did you notice that I said... <laughs> Size six, I, I, and that's how she is. But, but the thing is, is, is you need to study your spouse, right? I have to study her. There's 7.4 billion people on the face of the planet. 7.4 billion. God only requires me to know one, not two or three, by the way. One, and that's the only one I got to know. And I want to know her better than anybody else. If there is one man on this planet that's going to know Deborah Watson, it's going to be this guy. If you know her better, then you and I are going to have words. Right? I, I'm going to know her, and I'm going to study my spouse because, because I want to be a voracious learner of her. Be a voracious learner of your spouse. Now, just because I'm up here staying, saying all this stuff doesn't mean that I have it all together, right? And there's plenty of people that I learn from, like people that mentor me about parenting and, and family. And I, I'm, man, I'm shameless when it comes to this. If I find something working in your marriage, I'm going to pull you off to the side and say, hey, what are you doing? How did that work? Because I'm going to steal it. I'm competitive. I want to have the best marriage in this room. And God said that I could. I believe that you could have the best marriage in this room. So you have got to study your spouse. Now, a good student asks questions, right? A good student will ask questions, like questions like, how am I doing? It can be tough because the answer, do you feel loved? Am I doing a good job with romance? Like these are questions you can ask your spouse. Now, a good student will make changes and adjustments based on the correct answer. Maybe you got the answer wrong. No problem. Don't take it out on them. You just change it. You work on it. So you've so you got to serve your spouse. You've got to study your spouse. And here's the last thing. You've got to sacrifice for your spouse. That's probably the most important thing. Sacrifice for your spouse. What, what sacrifice? The sacrifice is just saying no to something for something else. It's saying, I'm going to say no to something I love for something I love more. Right? And, and sacrifice is so important in a marriage. Ladies, this might mean that you have to sacrifice your opinion sometimes. Can I preach for a minute? I mean, sometimes you have to give up your right to be right. And you have to sacrifice that for your husband. Husbands, sometimes you need to sacrifice and bring a little energy when you get home. Like you, it doesn't matter that you worked all day and you're tired and your boss is a jerk and you wanted to punch those customers in the throat, but you didn't. When you get home, some of these husbands, you get home and you do this, you open up the door like, honey, I'm home. And you give a little peck. And then you walk over and you go, hey, buddy. And there's the dog. What's up, friend? Hey, buddy, you're the best. And your wife's over there thinking, hey, what gives? Do, do I need to lay on the floor like this? Can I get more attention that way? And the husbands are thinking, well, at least he's happy to see me. See, sometimes you have to sacrifice what you feel. I want to challenge you today. T tomorrow, when you get home from work, the first thing that you need to do when you walk in the door is throw your arms around your spouse and give them a seven-second hug. Seven-second hug and a kiss. Some of you look at me like, seven seconds? <laughs> it's seven seconds, not seven minutes. And some of you, I, I, know, what, I know what you're thinking. Like, some of you engineering types are going to be like this. Okay, <laughs> six, done. No, don't do that, right? You know that, that um, studies show that, and this is for you guys, that, that women need seven to ten non-sexual touches a day. And that's not like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. 
And, and it's also not like, like one guy I talked to, he's 10. Like, no. <laughs> non-sexual touches, okay? And, and it's, it's hard for us guys to wrap our minds around, like, what is a non-sexual touch? I, it, for guys, it's a, it's a difficult thing to wrap our minds around, but it, it really does exist, guys. Like, I, I've talked to couples sometimes, and, and the wife will say, he only touches me when he wants to have sex. And the room grows silent. Like, all the guys out there are like, she knows. <laughs> yes, she knows. Like, they, they need non-sexual touches, guys. That means you're just reaching over and, and touching her, the small of her back, holding her hand, holding her shoulder, just touching her. And it, this is not like a move, like, like done for an advantage or something, right? I know it's hard for us to figure out, but it's true. And ladies, men need touching too. But when men say touching, they mean sexual intimacy. That's... that's <laughs> That's exactly what they're talking about. And I know that, that's difficult, but um, they did this study and, and they found that, according to this study, that most men want sex on days of the week that start with T. Uh, Tuesday and Thursday, uh, today and tomorrow. <laughs> and Tatterday and Tunday. <laughs> I love that joke because there's always an element of truth to a good joke, right? Like most guys, when they, they did the study, now this was a real study, what they did, is they determine, like, what are the mega needs of men and women? And they found out that number one, two, and three, for men, most men, on average, sexual intimacy was in one of those slots, number one, two, and three. You know what it was for women? Thirteen. Thirteen. Sexual intimacy was number 13 with their, with their husband to do. You know what was above 13? Um, gardening with my spouse. <laughs> so in other words, I would rather pull weeds with you than... I mean, that, that's just what the statistics show, but we have to sacrifice for our spouse. I, I heard this thing of, on average, if you want to impress your wife, you should do the following. Wine her, dine her, hug her, support her, hold her, surprise her, compliment her, smile at her, listen to her, laugh with her, cry with her, romance her, encourage her, believe in her, pray with her, pray for her. Cuddle with her, shop with her, give her jewelry, buy her flowers, hold her hand, write love letters to her, go to the end of the earth and back again for her. And this is how you impress your husband. Show up naked. <laughs> Bring chicken wings. The second one's optional. Sacrifice in your marriage changes the entire atmosphere of your home. When you sacrifice, and I, I know we're having fun, but the truth of the matter is, is is when you sacrifice what you want for the other's desires, there's no better way of showing your love. Now, I'm not advocating being a doormat, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying that you have to just give and get all his needs fulfilled or all of her needs fulfilled and met without any of yours. No, that's, that's not what the scripture says. It's that we honor each other. We love each other. We sacrifice for one another. That's what sacrifice is, true sacrifice. Hey, listen, saying I love you is necessary and needed. It's important. But showing somebody you love them by sacrificing your time or your energy or, or for their needs, there's no better way to say that I love you. You know, in our culture, we have um, kind of this mindset that if something is broken, we throw it away, right? We just toss it. Like, like if you were to have something that was valuable, like, let's say, a, a piece of china or, or a tea set, right? And if you were to break it or crack it, we would just toss it out. In the Japanese culture, they have this um, different way of looking at things. Come on up, worship team. Um, 
they have this, this process called kitsuji, okay? And, and the way that this is looked at is that if you had, like, say this teacup and you cracked it, that rather than throwing it away, you would take a precious metal like gold or silver and you would fill in the crack with this gold or silver. And now, because the value of the gold, now the, the, the piece is way more valuable. Now, because it's got a story behind it and the value of it, this teacup is way more valuable than it was before it even started, before it even broke. And I think we could learn something about that. I, I think that in some of our marriages, we've had some difficult moments. And, and you might be here and you're thinking all of this stuff, you're saying all this, that's, that's really nice, Pastor, but you don't know the hell that we've been through. Listen, let me tell you something. Some of the strongest marriages I know have made it through some of the most challenging and difficult things and they're on the other side. The key to it is don't let your misery destroy you. Here's what God wants to do. He wants to take your misery and make it your ministry. He wants you to have a story to tell. And if you, just, if you would just allow the Holy Spirit to pour into you in that crack and hurt and broken place and let him pour into you in those areas and let him heal you, you could absolutely have the greatest marriage in this room. Will you bow your heads with me? I know that some of you have gone through some challenging places and you're in difficult moments. Maybe you're here with your spouse and, and it's all you can do to just be in the same room with them. Or maybe you've been with your spouse for years and years. But if you're honest with yourself, it, it's not as passionate and burning bright as it once was. I believe you could have the best marriage in this room if you want to be married one day. And I want to pray for you too. And so if you're, you're here with your spouse, I want to ask you to do something. Just grab them by the hand. Hold on to them as a point of contact. And if you're not married here today, why don't you help me pray for these married couples because it's the bedrock of our, of our society. Paul said to honor it. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you're the one that created marriage. You're the one that designed it. Lord, you're, it was your idea in the first place and you absolutely want it to be honored. Lord, you want it to be perfect the way you built it. And we're not perfect people, God, but you are Jesus. So I just pray for those that are in this room. Maybe today there's somebody that's, that's dealing with a hurt, God, and they're trying to get over it. And they're trying to, to stop thinking about it, but it keeps coming up back again and again. I just pray that in this moment they would be reminded of how much you forgave us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I pray blessings over these marriages, that they'd be strong, that they'd be healthy, that Wichita Falls would know you must have come from, from that church because there's healthy marriages that come out of this church. I pray covering over each one of them, Lord. Blessings, protection against the evil one, forgiveness to be rampant in their home, and service to be the thing that they're known by in the name of Jesus. Right now, we're still praying every head bowed, every eye closed for just one minute more. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, I don't know what real forgiveness is like because I've never really been forgiven. I don't know if I could take that into a relationship because I really haven't accepted that you've talked about. Jesus knows what that's all about. That's why he sacrificed for you. Before you could even make a step in his direction, he said, I'll die for you. And if you want to really know what it's like to be forgiven, really know what it's like to have true peace, then all you have to do, he's done all the work for you, is just open up your heart to him. I'm not going to make you stand up or come to the front or anything, but I do want you to be bold. Just lift up your hand right where you are so I can pray for you. That's you. Come on. God bless you. Who else? Yes. Thank you. 
Yes, God bless you. Yes, ma'am. I want to make him the Lord of my life. I want to live for him. Yes, up top. Yes, God bless you all. Yes. So good, so good. Anyone else before we pray? We don't pray alone. No one in here will pray alone. So we're going to pray this out loud together. The Bible says, if you mean this from the bottom of your heart, you confess it with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you're saved. So all over this room, I'll help you with the words. You just make them your own. Say it this way. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, I surrender my life to you. I know I've sinned and I need a savior. I open up my heart to you now and I invite you in to be the Lord of my life. Wash me, cleanse me, forgive me of my sins. And from this moment forward, I'll never be the same because I'm yours and you're mine. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Will you encourage those that made that decision today? Hey, we're so proud of you. Come on, they walked over from death to life. Give them praise in this house. Hey, praise God for what he's doing in your life and such an awesome message from Pastor Tom this morning. I just want to remind you about the card that I mentioned to you at the beginning of the service, that connection card. Um, If you are one of those people today who made the decision to give your life to Christ, we would love it if you could just let us know on that card. In the center, there's a spot that says my decision today. And if you just check the box that applies to you on that card, um, that's just your way of letting us know what your decision was today. So one, we can celebrate with you all that God's doing in your life, but two, so that we can be praying for you and so that we can help you with next steps. And so if you made that decision today, sometimes we, after we give our life to Christ, we just don't really know what to do. Like, what do I do next? And so we've put this little box together, next steps box. It has resources inside of it that will help you know what you can do next um, in your journey of faith so that you can know what step to take next to continue growing. And we would love to get that to you. The way you get it is as you leave today, there's a shelf right beside our growth track room against the wall. And there'll be someone over there. If you just go by that shelf and stop by and let the person at the table know that you would like a next steps box, they'll give that to you. And that's totally free, our gift to you. We just wanna help you in the area of next steps. So we're about to move to the part of the service now where we worship the Lord through giving. And I just wanna say thank you so much for being such a generous church because it's because of your obedience to the Lord and it's because of your giving that we're able to make such a difference in our world the way we do through, through national missions to places like Israel and Afghanistan and Cuba and and also through local local missions like this past week someone called us up and the, uh, a lady was in a tough situation and and so we were able to just do a small kind gesture of just getting some things that they needed to help them out in a hard time and, it, and it's a lot of small things like that that we do but there's also a lot of big things and that would never happen without you and your generosity so thank you so much and and also just know that that's you making a difference every time you give that you're making a difference um, we like to say when you give here you're not giving to a church you're giving through a church because we're gonna we're gonna reach outside the walls with it we're not gonna just keep it here we're gonna bless others with it so um, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray over the offering and then when I say amen Man, there'll be a, uh, some people up here in the front as our prayer team. If you need prayer for anything at all, um, during the last song, you could just make your way up and, and come to any one of these prayer team members and they'd love to pray with you. So I'm going to go ahead and pray now over our time together. 
God, I thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to serve you and to worship you. Thank you that we get to be a part of your kingdom. God, and I just pray that you'd bless each person as they leave today. God, that they would leave different, that they would leave changed. God, and that you would just continue to do a great and mighty work in their life. God, let your purposes be done in our life. Let your vision for our life come to pass. We worship you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, come on, let's stand together and worship one more time.